everybody. Welcome to Christ Fellowship. So glad to see you. Hey, I love that song. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Amen? And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today, specifically telling the children about our Jesus. Because not only can he change their life, he can save their life. Well, I've got a lot on my heart to share with you today, and so I want to jump right into this series that our pastors have been leading, Ancient Stories. Today we're going to look at the story of a grandma, a willa, is that how you say that? Yeah. And a mom, and how they told their children about their Jesus. Are you ready for this? All right, well, let's open our Bibles, yeah, to First, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy Chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. It'll come up on the screen. You can follow along with us that way. You listen as I read the Word of God. Paul the Apostle is talking here, writing here, under the inspiration of God. God is guiding his exact words. But at the same time, he's writing to his son in the ministry, whose name was Timothy. Here's what he says to Timothy. Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and then in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And then listen to what he says to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 15. He says, and Timothy, how from infancy... You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise, and here's our key word for the day, to make you wise unto salvation. salvation. Everybody say salvation. Salvation. Everybody say salvation. Salvation. Yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So you can grab a seat at all of our campuses. And I want to set things up by sharing a story that I've shared with you before, but when I saw this passage... This just fits this story. So I want to share it with you. To begin with, several years ago, I came home from the office, plugged down in my chair, turned on the TV, just in time to see this indescribable, unbelievable, terrible situation unfolding on national TV. The breaking story was about a little 18-month-old girl named Jessica who had fallen into an abandoned well shaft. Oh yeah, Jessica had toddled over to this hole in her backyard in Midland, Texas. By the way, the hole was actually an eight inch diameter pipe like this that descended down into the earth. At any rate, Jessica sat down on top of this hole in the ground, dangled her feet down inside of it, oh yeah. And before her mother could react, she slipped inside. And she fell 22 feet down that shaft and stuck. And check this out. The only reason she stuck was because the the pipe was rusted and narrowed at that point. However, directly underneath that, that shaft opened up and dropped 175 feet into an abyss. Now, folks, I don't have to tell you this, that that child's most profound need at that moment was salvation. 
She needed to be saved. And so her mother frantically called rescue. Now, I want you to stay in the story. Because when the county sheriff arrived on the scene, he quickly saw that this was a situation bigger than his department could handle. And so he sent out a statewide plea. We have a child who has fallen into an abandoned well shaft, and we need all rescue personnel on the scene now. And folks, as rescue teams from all over Texas and all over the nation arrived on the scene, they quickly realized that this was going to be a life or death mission. And they also knew, they knew that the strategy they chose would determine whether this child would live or die. Now, mind you, the mission was pretty straightforward. Extract the child, reach the child, and get her out. The strategy, however, was going to have to be more drastic. Because the only way to reach her was to go over beside the shaft that she was in and dig another vertical shaft 23 feet down. Then they would dig a horizontal shaft across to her. Subsequently, a rescue worker would be lowered down the vertical shaft. He would crawl across the horizontal shaft and come up under Jessica and try to pull her out. Does that make sense? Get it? All right, good, because they started to dig. But the dig, the ground was harder than they thought, and the dig took longer than they had planned. In fact, 24 hours passed, and they were still digging. 48 hours passed, they were still digging. It took three days just to dig the vertical shaft, and only then did things begin to look hopeful. But hold the press, because as they started digging the horizontal shaft, they hit a solid rock wall. And I'll never forget the news flash on that. They said the workers have hit a solid rock wall, and they said things look hopeless. Now, mind you, physicians ran cameras down into the shaft to monitor Jessica, and they could hear her crying, so they knew she was alive. But they knew that the the exposure was killing her. Now, folks, here's what I loved. That rescue team never lost their resolve. Never. In fact, FedEx flew in a high-powered drill, and they drilled across and they reached, tunneled, and reached over to where Jessica was. And folks, then there came this unforgettable moment with the whole nation watching. By the way, how many of you remember this? Yes, some of you do. With the whole nation watching, a rescue worker named Robert O'Donnell was lowered down the vertical shaft. He crawled across the horizontal shaft and came up under Jessica. And we all waited. There was so much excitement. And we waited, and we waited. And even the announcers on TV began to wonder, where is Robert O'Donnell? Why has he not come out? Why is it taking him this long? And then finally, Robert O'Donnell is pulled up from the vertical shaft, but without Jessica. And you could see this look of panic on his face as he began to talk to the, the other leaders of the rescue and he told, told them that she was, her leg was wedged, that she was sort of in a split position, and he couldn't get her out. 
Now everybody lean in. Because it was then that the rescue team leaders made a do-whatever-it-takes decision. They told Robert O'Donnell, you go back down there and you do whatever it takes to get her out. You break her leg if you have to. You break her. You just do whatever it takes to get her out because failure is not an option. And so with this do whatever it takes resolve, Robert O'Donnell went back down that vertical shaft, crawled across the horizontal, horizontal shaft, and he pulled Jessica out. And he came up and he handed her to great physicians who could save her life. Take a look. Here she comes. There's clapping. And he didn't have to break her leg. Isn't that great? Yeah. Now, yeah. Now, let me turn a corner and bring that all over to the message today. Because what an image of every child's most profound need. And by that I mean, folks, just like Jessica's most profound need was to be saved from certain death. And just like that rescue team was resolved to do whatever it took to reach her, just like that. Every child's most profound need is to be saved. But not only from a certain death, but from an unimaginable death, an unthinkable death. And God is calling on us, moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas, and this church, God is calling on us to do whatever it takes to reach them for God so that they can be saved. Now you might be saying, Rick, what, what do you mean saved from an unthinkable death, an unimaginable death? What do you mean by that? And if we're called to reach a child, reach children for God, what does it take to reach them? Well, we're going to find out today from two women, a grandma named Lois, a mother named Eunice, how to reach children, what it takes to reach a child for God. And what we discover, folks, is failure is not an option. Failure to reach a child for God is not an option. So from Eunice and Lois, there are two non-negotiables to reaching a child for Christ. If you're filling in the blanks, here they are. Number one, to reach children for Christ, number one, we have to grasp what's at stake. What's at stake? What's on the line for these children? With that in mind, let's pick it up in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul is talking to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and then in your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded now, lives in you. Now, folks, it is clear that this grandmother named Lois took the faith of Christ that was in her and transferred it to her daughter, Eunice. Eunice then took the faith that was in her and transferred it to her son, Timothy. And Timothy then became a pastor and transferred the faith that was in him to the world. We're reading a book about him to this day. He has been changing the world ever since. 
Tell you what, hold that thought. I'll come back to that, more on that. But here's what both of these mothers clearly knew. They knew what was at stake for their child. And they knew that their mission to pass the faith to their child was a life or death mission on an unimaginable scale. In fact, listen to what Paul says to Timothy in verse 15 of chapter 3. He says, Timothy, from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. In other words, this grandma, Lois, and this mom, Eunice, they were teaching their boy about the Scriptures when he was an infant. More on that, but listen, here's why. Which are able to make you wise for, and here's that key word, what is it? Salvation. Salvation. Everybody lean in. Because that word salvation is explicit. It's a translation of the Greek word soterios, which literally means to save somebody. In other words, in this text, someone needs to be saved. And Lois and Eunice knew that it was their son, their child, that needed to be saved. But folks, not saved from bad grades at school. Not saved from low self-esteem. That's not what's at stake in this text. In fact, write this down as A. This is so important. What's at stake is a child's soul. What's at stake is a child's soul. Verse 15, and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Folks, the salvation in this text is not life or death on a time scale. This is life or death on an everlasting scale. In fact, write this down as B and C. What every child needs to be saved from is eternal Death. This is the unthinkable death I'm talking about. This is death in hell. I don't relish saying that. I get no joy out of saying that, but that is the fact of the word of God. There is a hell and there is eternal death in that place. That's what we're trying to save a child from. And write this down to see what they need to be saved to is eternal life. In other words, God loves children. Jesus loves the little children. And he wants them to be with him forever in heaven. Not only in heaven, but in the new earth. He has a plan for every one of their lives. So heaven or hell is at stake. Eternal life and eternal death are on the line. This then is a child's most profound need. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, Christ fellowship. Our children will have many needs through their life, and we want to meet those. But their most profound need, their most urgent need, is to be saved from an everlasting death. Think about Jessica when she was hanging by a thread over that abyss. Nobody was talking about her dance class. Nobody was talking about her grades at school. No, in that moment, her most profound need was salvation, which is why the rescue workers adopted a do whatever it takes but save this child. Mom and dad, 
Grandma and Grandpa, Christ Fellowship, our children are at risk of everlasting death. And God is calling us to do what it takes to reach them. You say, well, Rick, what does it take to save a child? Well, listen, Scripture leaves no ambiguity about that. And both of these mothers knew exactly what it took. Write this down as big number two. Faith in Christ is their only hope. Faith in Christ is their only hope. Listen to verse 15. From infancy, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are to make you wise unto salvation. And how does a child get saved? Through, what's that next word? Faith. Faith. Yeah, but not just, not just random faith. Faith in who? Christ in Christ Jesus. Now, everybody thinking caps on again, because that word faith is so important. It is a translation of the Greek word pistis. I always tell you, the Bible is originally written in Koine Greek, the New Testament, translated to English, Spanish, whatever. But that word faith, every time you see it from the Greek word pistis, it simply means to intellectually believe something. It means an intellectual, confident belief in something. In other words, mom and dad, our mission is to lead our children to intellectually believe and and have a confident belief in Christ Jesus to the point that they call on him as Savior and follow him with their lives. This then is a battle for the mind. We must get them to believe. Mom and dad, you want want an unbroken circle in heaven, you've got to get your child to believe. Christ Fellowship, we want the children in these these neighborhoods around our campuses to have an unbroken circle with us in heaven. We must get them to believe. I remember telling Natalie and Rebecca, my two daughters, when they were little children, I told them one day, early on, I said, you know, one day you're going to get the message that dad has died. I'm older than you. I'll probably go first. I said, but if there is any message I could leave with you, it would be this. You be there on the other side because dad is going to be waiting on you. And whatever you want to do in this life, I'll try to help you. But the most important thing is that there is an unbroken circle in heaven with mom and dad and Natalie and Rebecca and now my grandchildren to have an unbroken circle. That is what God calls us to do. Again, this then is a battle for their minds. And folks, here's what it demands. Write this down as A. We have to transfer our faith to them. Put another way, we have to take the faith that is in our mind and heart and we have to transfer it into their mind and heart. Let me show you this. Listen to verse 5 again. I persuaded Timothy of your sincere faith, which first lived in your Grandmother Lois, first generation, and then in your mother Eunice, second generation, and I'm persuaded now lives in you, Timothy, third generation. Don't you love that? The first generation, Grandma took the faith in Christ in her heart and transferred it to her daughter's heart, her daughter's mind, second generation. The second generation daughter took the faith that was in her, transferred it to her son, Timothy, third generation, and Timothy began to transfer it because he was a pastor to the world, to thousands of people. By the way, what an image of our pastor, Pastor Omar. 
His faith came to him from first generation from his grandma, Awella, right? Awella. And then she passed her faith to her daughter. And then her daughter passed her faith to her son, Omar. And Omar is now passing the faith to thousands of people. By the way, by the way, he's passing it to his newest edition, which came this week. Yeah. That's Mateo. But folks, here's what I want you to get. Mom and dad, listen to me carefully. Satan will not attack you for the faith that you keep inside. That's not a problem. You keep it inside, not a problem. He attacks us for the faith that we try to transfer to others. And specifically, our child. He will do everything in his power to stop that. To stop the transfer. Let me give you a visual of, of what the transfer, what I'm talking about. When I, was, um, when I was in college, Tony Isaacs and I were very close friends. You all know Tony. Tony's on staff, 20 years plus at Christ Fellowship, six foot five tall. He and I both were black belts. And Tony used to beat me up every day, which was not hard to do because I wasn't very good. But anyway, I'll never forget one day Tony called me up to his dorm room. We were both single to show me a new technology for transferring the faith. It was called a cassette tape. I've never really seen one of those before. But he had an album of cassette tapes, and each one of them had a Bible message in it by John MacArthur. How many of you know that name? Yeah, he's a Bible vault of Bible information. But what was amazing was you could put these tapes in, and you could hear the message inside the tape. It sounded like this. Listen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah, the message was inside the tape. But folks, what we would do, what we do, we buy these cheap tapes from Walmart, and we'd take this tape that had the message in it, and we'd transfer it to the blank tape. And John was okay with that. He just wanted to get the word out. So he was okay with that. But we would take the message tape, the tape that had the message in it. By the way, that would be called a first-generation tape. And we would transfer it over to the blank tape, which was called the next-generation or the second-generation tape. And so it's pretty straightforward how you do it. You put both of them into a dual tape cassette like that. And then you would put play, push record. And the process would begin of transferring the message inside the first generation over to the blank tape, the next generation. And folks, when the transfer was over, the change in this tape was Drastic, dramatic, because you could put it inside the tape deck and hit play, and this is what you would hear. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The second generation tape was no longer empty. It was no longer blank. It was filled with the word of God. But not only that, you could take that second generation tape and you could transfer it to a third generation tape. And you could take the third generation tape and transfer it to a fourth generation tape. Folks, yeah, what an image of what God is calling us to do. God wants us to, to transfer our faith to our children, but he doesn't want to stop there. He, we need to teach our children, listen, you transfer your faith to the next generation. You tell the next generation to transfer it so that the faith keeps on moving. Anyway, back to the tapes. Because sometimes you would put a tape like this in, first generation, next generation, and hit record. 
to transfer the message, and it wouldn't happen. For whatever reason, it, wouldn't, it didn't transfer. And you do it didn't because when you put the next generation tape in and hit play, all you would hear would be... It was still void. It was still empty. What an image of what happens when we fail to transfer the faith to the next generation. Listen to Judges chapter 2. It says the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. In other words, Joshua's generation had the word of God in them. But listen to verse 10. But after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, that is, they died off. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And the text goes on to say, then the people of Israel did that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Folks, what an image of what's happening in our, in our, in our country. We are failing to pass the faith to the next generation. Do you know that 25% of millennials who once attended church have left and they're not coming back? You know why they're not coming back? What do you think? Some people would say, oh, they're not coming back because they think church is boring. Mm -mm. Some people would say, well, they think they're not coming back because they think church is irrelevant. Nope. They're not coming back because they think church fight too much. Here's why they're not coming back. They don't believe it anymore. They don't, they don't believe it. Meaning what? Meaning we have not taken what's in our heart, in our mind, and successfully transferred it over to them. So how do we do that? How do we get it across to them? Well, let me tell you what I think we're up against. To begin with, if you are culturally savvy at all, you know there is a war on children. This war is an educational war on children. It is a psychological war on children. It is certainly a political war on children. It is a spiritual war on children. But folks, have no illusions at, his, at its root, at its source, it is a satanic war on children with a goal to shepherd children as far away from God as they can be led and to destroy their life and to destroy their body, their soul, and their spirit in hell forever. That's what we're up against. And here's what we need to know. Satan has weaponized every modern asset to try to destroy the next generation, to destroy their body and their soul, their life, their spirit. He has weaponized politicians who pass laws that will destroy them. He has weaponized the abortionist, 62.5 million children have been murdered inside the womb. Satan has weaponized movie stars, newscasters, teachers, pornographers, activists, sex traffickers, 
big tech, and even some teachers, even some medical people. Children are targeted and they are systematically being led as far away from God as they can possibly be led. And folks, have no illusions. Satan always targets the mind of a child because a child's mind is not developed. It can be manipulated, shaped. And Satan, his most strategic weapon is the lie. Satan has reshaped the culture now to love the lie. There was a time in our culture when we loved the truth. People pursued the truth. They longed for the truth. But then we entered the enlightenment age, and truth was no longer the issue because truth was relative. Truth was whatever. There was no absolute truth anymore. Truth was whatever you wanted it to be. But now we've come out the backside of that, the enlightenment, and there's no, no desire for truth at all. There is actually a desire for lies, almost a willful ignorance of reality. Lies are noble so long as they can be leveraged for certain goals, mainly of which is Satan to lead children to eternal death. A child is an easy target because their minds can be shaped And from the time a child goes off to public school, apart from a few godly teachers that they may intersect with, they come under the influence of those whose agenda is anti-God, anti-Christ, and anti-Scripture. And they engage in what I call lie-dumping. Lie-dumping on children. And they begin with what the child actually is, not who they are, but what they are. Hebrews 2 asks the rhetorical question, what is humankind? What are we? The system that children enter into, the educational systems would say to that child, you are not the creation of God. There is no God. You were not created in the image of God. You're not special. God has no plan. There is no God. You oozed out of the slime along with the snail, the beetle, and the weasel. You are nothing but a tricked-out ape. You're nothing but a high-class monkey. And then they lie about the child's purpose. Your purpose is not to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Your purpose is not to enjoy a relationship Loving a God who loves you, there is no God. Your purpose is only self-gratification. Your purpose is not the secondary purpose, which is to love your neighbor, to love people as you love yourself. That's not your purpose. You're to hate them. You're to hate them before you even meet them. You're to hate them based on their race. You're to hate them based on their sex. Then Satan lies to them about their destiny. You're not going to heaven. There is no heaven. You're going to die like the dog on the side of the road. And he just systematically shepherds them as far away from God till they fall like Jessica down that shaft. Folks, can I tell you something? 
Jesus loves the little children. It's not just a song. He loves them. And he gives a warning. Here's what he has to say. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to fall away, it would be better for him that a heavy millstone were hanged around his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. You say, meaning what? You don't harm a child. You don't abort a child. You don't do that. You don't sex traffic a child. And folks, you certainly don't teach a child things that would shepherd that child away from a God who loves them. Jesus said, those who do that, it would be better that a millstone were hanged about your neck and you were drowned in the depths of the sea. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, Christ Fellowship, God calls us to protect the children, protect them, and to protect them by getting the faith that's in our heart and minds into them to save them, not just to change them, but to save them. So how do we do that? I want to give you three quick ways. Number one, our faith has to be sincere to be transmissible. Amen. Paul says, I'm reminded of your what kind of faith? Sincere. Yeah, your sincere faith, which first started in your grandmother and then was in your mother, and that sincere faith was passed to you. Now, the word sincere there is a translation of the compound Greek word ah, hypocritas. Hypocritas is the word we get hypocrite from. I in the Greek negates what follows. Ahupokritos means a faith that is not hypocritical. Good. Folks, a hypocritical faith is hard to pass along to a child. Fake faith. Boy, we live in a fake generation, don't we? Have you noticed the people on TV, particularly the advertisements, the fakes? fake happiness, fake wisdom. These people are empty. They are, there's nobody at home in their soul. There's no Holy Spirit in there. Our children are looking for authenticity. And your faith needs to be real. It needs to be the same Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as it is on Sunday. Secondly, our faith has to be living to be transmissible. Paul said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother and then lived in your mother and I'm persuaded now lives in you. Timothy had a living faith and living faith is a faith that can be caught. A living faith is a faith that's wound into the fabric of everyday living. In other words, it's not compartmentalized to a place, a day, and an hour. It's woven throughout everyday life. That's living faith. You remember the Shema in Deuteronomy 6? Here's what it says, yeah. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Meaning what? It's just woven into the fact. You see, faith is not only caught, it has to be, not only taught, it has to be caught, doesn't it? It's easier caught than taught. But that being said, write this down as three. 
Our faith has to be told to be transmissible. I love that song. Let me tell you about my Jesus. (laughs) It's not enough just to live a good life. They've got to be told that they are a sinner and that they are far away from God and they need a savior to bridge the gap. They need to be brought to Christ. They need to be taught. I love Pastor Omar's grandmother. She not only taught him, she left him tapes after her death that he would listen to. Still teaching. Take a look. Here's one of those tapes. Listen. Abuela, si tú me, si tú me dieras uno, uno consejo, un consejo a mí, o sea, para mi vida, para, ¿qué sería? Uno con tu consejo. Pero yo te aconsejaría Ajá. que nunca pierdan a ser Dios. Ajá. Siempre sirve con el Señor, que Él te proveerá todo. Poco o mucho te lo va a proveer. Pero si tú pierdes la fe en el Señor, se te desvanece todo. Eso es todo lo que yo te podría decir. Sí. Ya. Que nunca pierdas tu fe. Gracias, abuela. ¿Y qué más? Bueno, con, con la fe se hace todo. No wonder he's such a great pastor with a grandmother like that. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Listen, tell him. Tell him about how he made a way when you thought there was no way. Tell him how his power to rise up from an empty grave. Tell him when they're sinful that there's no sinner that he can't save. Tell him when you were down how he lifted you up. Tell him how when you and their mother were fighting and you were divided and you thought the marriage was never going to make it and your mom began to pray. And God began to move and daddy began to pray. And God made a way to raise up the family. Tell them about your Jesus. Tell them every day. I got to hustle. Write this down as B. Start as early as possible. Start as early as possible. Paul says, from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise. In other words, Timothy's grandmother and mother started passing the faith on to him early. Why? Because a child's mind can be shaped for good or bad. Mom, dad, God's calling you to shape a child for him. Sometimes parents will say to me, well, we choose not to tell our children what to believe. Listen, somebody's going to tell your kid what to believe, mom. Dad, somebody's going to shape your child's mind. Do you want that to be the TV? Do you want that to be Hollywood? Do you want that to be some politician? No, they won't shape your child for God. They'll shape them to be agnostic. They'll shape them to be atheist. God is looking for you to shape that child while they're like wet cement. That's and then finally, write this down. Let's see, recruit a team. There was a grandma, a mom. <laughs> Paul the Apostle, Omar's grandma, his mother. And God uses mothers and fathers, but he also uses the church to shape children. Put your children in the children's ministry families. Put those teenagers who are so vulnerable into the student ministry, mom and dad. Your kids will become like who they hang around. We need to be together. By the way, can I say this? This pandemic thing 
Satan's goal is not just to kill people. His goal is so much bigger than that. His goal in this is to scatter the flock of God. To separate us. We need to be together. Listen, I'm for online church. It can help us survive. But online church can't help us thrive. We need each other. Paul would say to Timothy, Paul would say, Timothy, I long to see you. Barnabas, I long to see you. There's something about face-to-face. We need each other. And so much the more as we see the approaching of the return of Jesus Christ. Listen, I cannot think of a time when I felt like the return of Christ was knocking at the door. Jesus said, when you see Israel return to the land, that's the big sign. When you see Jerusalem on the Israeli's flag, that's an even bigger sign. Jesus taught, and the Bible writers teach, that as the world moves towards socialism, and it is hell-bent on socialism, and to approach that on a global scale, the Antichrist will be able to take control of that and thus take control of the world. The Bible says there will be an army east of Jerusalem of 200,000, and Russia will come from the north. All of this is setting up for the day. And here's what the Bible says about the day. Hebrews 10. Do not give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need our children. Listen, mask up, stay apart, do what you got to do, but we cannot afford to be scattered. That's what Satan's up to. Weaken the body of Christ. We need to pass our faith to our children, folks. Can you imagine what would happen if we could pass the faith to the next generation and the generation really caught it? We could spark a revival, the likes of which the world has never seen. We could create an awakening. People talk about awakening. Listen, there was the great awakening back in the day, which was an awakening of people's souls and an awakening to God. That's what we need to create is an awakening to God Almighty. He's the one who can change lives and save our children. Amen. Listen, volunteer for our children's ministry. You want to do something with your life that'll matter long after you've gone, invest in a child. Volunteer for our student ministries. They are so exposed today. Serve in those ministries. And let's spark a revival that will change the world. Well, we've got a moment now for all of our families. I've gone way too long. But uh, we're going to ask our families to come now and all of our campus pastors in Christ Fellowship, I just want to say I love you from the bottom of my heart and let's pray for our children. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.